We welcome back to the show Sharks President Jonathan Becker. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, always appreciate your time. Uh, clearly has been a busy week for you, so let's just dive right in. Uh, it, it seems like we're the last ones to talk to you about this, so if you could just give our listeners a quick review of the situation and explain why pineapple does not belong on pizza. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought the opening question was. But just for clearness, pineapple together with ham do not belong on pizza whatsoever. I might stomach ham by itself on pizza, but not with pineapple. Sorry, it's a tropical thing. Nothing tropical is in Italy. Uh, you imagine them putting pizza with pineapple if you're going at, no, just doesn't work. Sorry. Probably not. <laughs> by the way, if we need to take another vote of fans, I'm certain the no pineapple team would win. And maybe, in fact, AJ, maybe that's what we do. Okay. Maybe we have to settle this once and for all. I'm totally down with that. Uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of articles and interviews lately about the possibility of the Sharks being forced out of SAP due to all the projects that are in the pipeline regarding the Downtown West project. So can you give our listeners just kind of a quick overview if they haven't seen any of the other 200 interviews that you've already done about this? Fair enough, AJ. <laughs> uh, so first of all, just for avoidance of doubt, we were born here in San Jose. We've grown up here in San Jose. We have zero interest in leaving San Jose. In fact, we have zero interest in leaving the SAP Center. You correctly said forced out. It would be against our will. It would be only if literally our fans, our patrons, our guests for both concerts and for hockey couldn't safely and conveniently make it here. So it, it's a last resort. It is not a veiled threat. We're not asking for a new arena. We love the SAP Center. We've invested 200 million of our own money in it. We continue to invest more money in it. We think we can extend the useful life of this arena for 20, 40, maybe even 60 more years. So there's no funky business going on here. The short answer is the neighborhood that we're in, so the Deardon Station area, as it's called, is being redeveloped. And in short, redevelopment can be a very good thing. Uh, it's being redeveloped, basically 250 acres. Uh, about a third of that development, 80-some acres, Google is working on, and the other two-thirds is other miscellaneous developers. And a part of that 250 acres, a couple things are happening. One is about 15 million square feet of new office building is coming in, which represents about 60,000 new workers. About half Google, the other half everybody else. So there'll be a bunch of constructions. The Google side alone is 65 new buildings roundabout. And that's great, that's a lot of construction. But don't forget on top of those two projects, the Google side and the non-Google side, we also have BART being extended in through downtown, which will come into the Deardon station as well. That's a third project. On top of that, there's actually a fourth project, which is Caltrain is planning to modernize which in itself is a good thing. It's gonna be faster trains. I understand those should be electric. And potentially a fifth project, which is high-speed rail. Getting people from Southern California, we'd be a station going all the way up to San Francisco. So this area has got potentially very large, five very large projects that are gonna start in the next couple of years. Nobody knows exactly when, so let's call it 24 or 25, and last at least 20 years, maybe a bit longer than that. Okay. On itself, all that's good, right? I mean, I see you, AJ, kind of going, wow, that, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Our concern is not that it's happening. We love the idea that more people will be downtown. 
we love the idea that there's more potential public transportation. The challenges are threefold. The first is, as part of those plans as they stand right now, the street network is being fundamentally changed. Now, I know street network is kind of a complicated term, and maybe the average person doesn't know what I mean. So I'll just give you a couple of concrete examples. One is Santa Clara Street, the main thoroughfare that goes through downtown that runs right past the SAP Center, Shark Tank for those of you that call it that. Right now, as you probably remember, is four lanes of traffic. Two lanes in each direction. It's being proposed to shrink down to only two lanes, meaning one lane of car in each direction. So that's the main east-west thoroughfare in all of San Jose. That just makes it hard to get back and forth. By itself, maybe that would be okay, but also both Autumn and Montgomery, the ones that are perpendicular to Santa Clara that you use to get here if you come from the 280 side, those are also being proposed to shrink down from four lanes to two lanes. So essentially, it's being choked off. What's your cat's name? Uh, this one is Toby. Oh, hi, Toby. So Toby is objecting to all the, see, Toby would like to have four lanes of traffic around you right. the same way that you'd like to have. So as there's less and less ability to get in, it's not so much are there parking spots, it's can I drive there or not? Yep. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say what's maybe on your mind or others, which is, well, maybe you don't drive. Maybe you take public transportation. No, that's not on my mind. I'm a big okay. proponent of, I'm a big car guy. I enjoy coming and going on my own schedule, not relying on mass transit. But Fair continue. enough. And you're, there'll be plenty of people like you, but let, let's play the numbers. Right now, somewhere between 10 and 15% of our guests use public transportation for a concert or a hockey game. That's probably a little low. We'd like more people to do that. So as BART expands, as Caltrain, as more people live downtown, they might bike or walk. In fact, just as many people use scooters and walk as use Caltrain right now. It's actually interesting how that actually works. Those are people that live downtown. Or would potentially park at, say, San Pedro or 4th Street? That's good. Assuming they could get here because, remember, it's, uh, streets are going to be reduced as well. Yeah. Let's say all this is wildly successful and that 15% number goes to 50%, to half. That still leaves the other half, people like you that would prefer cars. But it's even more complicated than that because let's say you live in a district in San Jose where there is no public transportation, right? Well, you're, you're reading my mind. I actually have some notes on that. So uh, let me just stop you here because no I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the fan that first off has to deal with Caltrain schedule and the fact that after a certain point, they stop running trains. So I've, I've heard from many a friend that said, I'd love to take Caltrain, but if the game goes to overtime, the train's left. I that that know, is true. I can't catch a train. But what do fans that are kind of like west of El Camino, west of 280, all the way up through the peninsula, how else are they – no one's taking a lime scooter for 20 miles. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that, that is our second concern. So there's access and there's public transportation good, but if you live in Saratoga, Las Gatas – parts of Campbell, Morgan Hill, Gilroy, Stockton, Sacramento. There are plenty of places, right? We, we, we are the San Jose Sharks, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, or fortunately, I didn't mean it in a negative way, a lot of our patrons, particularly for concerts, but also for hockey, don't live anywhere near public transportation. 
And maybe someday in the future there are more. Maybe one day 280 gets turned into a BART line as well. But that, that's a long, long, long time ago. Yeah. Well, and you're talking to a fan that lives within five miles of the tank. I still like driving. I like to, you know, I like to be able, again, come and go as I please. If I pick up some merch from the store or what have you, it's nice to be able to just throw it in the back seat. You, do, know. Do you buy lots of merch? I can't tell by your background. I mean, here and there. Okay, yeah, I pick, I pick up little things. Um, but to go back, one of the things you had said earlier is that this, it, because again, this is something I have in my notes is, you know, how do you respond, respond to the unfounded claims of on, on social media and different venues that say, oh, the Sharks are just trying to use this as a ploy to get a new arena. And, and, and of course, my response is, if you're pushing for a new arena, why are you literally blowing millions to make changes to the current venue? Yeah. I mean, that's a great response. I mean, I said during the city council meeting on Monday, we've invested more than $5 million in this building since the pandemic happened. So no events, right? We're not bringing new revenue in, but we're still investing in the building because that shows you how much we love it. In fact, we've invested more in the building than it costs to build. Jeez. Well, it goes to show you the difference in price over the last 30 years. But um, so what have you done? I mean, we know certain projects obviously have been promoted on uh, social media. There's the new escalators at the south entrance. There's clearly a whole new ice system and whatnot. I thought I had heard maybe some upgrades to the club level, but can you let us know? Huh. I hadn't heard that rumor yet. So (laughs) You work there, right? (laughs) Yes, I I do indeed work here. It's possible that somebody upgraded the club and I don't know about it. I should go check that out. Uh, Maybe they put in some new carpet or a new bar stool or something. Who knows? Uh, So so look, the three main things are, the first is the south entrance escalator. Um, For those of you that are in our building a lot, and thank you for doing that, you know that the escalator, which is original, well, was original to the building, has uh, occasionally failed to function in, on game nights as well. It's been intermittent over the last 18 months. Uh, it turns out it's a difficult project. Uh, if you've ever been in the room underneath the escalator, that's the FJ room, um, to actually replace the escalator, we had to actually excavate into the FJ room. You had to poke down into there as well, remove the old, so clearly it's not the kind of thing you wanna do if there are events in the building and people are around. So mm-hmm. we've replaced it with a, obviously a much more modern escalator as well. Uh, for those of you that have seen some of the videos that I and the Sharks account have posted, it's got some cool lighting effects to it as well. A couple more tricks up our sleeve, which I won't hint about. Um, but maybe next time you're there and you dance, maybe it'll dance back or something, et cetera. So it, it's, it's an escalator. It's a people mover, but it's got some capabilities built into it. So that, that's one smaller fun thing. That one was actually planned all along to happen this summer, but – the fact that we had a little bit longer meant we could do a little more and do it in a, uh, I don't want to say a safer way, because we always do it safer, but we had some extra time to worry about some of the, uh, the mechanics of how it worked. Yeah. Uh, what was unplanned and frankly quite expensive is we went beyond replacing just the ice chiller plant. Uh, for those of you that may not be hardcore hockey fans, although if you're listening to Teal Town, you're probably pretty hardcore. Um, the ice chiller pan is literally the thing that manufactures the ice. It sits in the back room and you, some of you may have gotten toured as well. That was older. So we replaced it for something that's more modern and can make ice more efficiently. But now that we knew that we weren't going to use the building for almost nine months, hopefully that's the limit to that. We said, well, why don't we see if we can replace the piping that's underneath the floor itself. But in order to do that, and originally we were thinking maybe we just replace the headers 
the headers are at each end of the rink, basically, right underneath where the goalie is, and a little bit bigger than that. And when we broke through the foundation, which is basically 30 years old, this all started, as you recall, construction in 1991, we opened in 1993, we recognized that we wanted to do a bigger job than we originally expected. We actually wanted to replace the entire infrastructure that's there and go from a two-header system, one that actually has piping on both ends, to one that is a single header system with much bigger pipes. And in doing so, you can basically think about what happens when we have bigger flight pipes. You can have more water go through. You have a much more efficient system. It turns out we can do it in a more environmental friendly way. And because it's colder, you have, yes, better ice. Um, so even on those humid days, we can actually deal with the humidity much better. So it leads to a better sheet of ice. Does it also lead to being able to flip the building from say a concert or whatever to a Sharks game? Yeah, we're extraordinarily good at flipping it, but it will save a couple hours off of that as well. So it does make our life easier. Wow. I don't know. Okay. That's kind of cool. Um, getting back to the, uh, the development and the impact on SAP, we spoke oh, with... Oh, wait, AJ, I, I forgot. And the other thing which most fans won't notice is we ripped out what's uh, very sexy. I'm joking here called the building automation system, basically the brains of the building, uh, all the wiring and the electronics in the same way you've heard the concept of a smart home. We replaced all that infrastructure and all that wiring um, so that we can monitor things from a single system. So we've turned it into a smart building. That's mostly for us, but it makes our lives much more streamlined. Nice. And so a little, any type of uh, like a bit more efficient as well? Uh, th there will be some electricity savings, but there'll be more than anything time savings because it's supposed to 10 or 12 panels we have to deal with. It's a single panel system now. Oh, okay. Um, during our interview with John Tadora a year ago in right. regards to a lot of these, uh, the, the impact of Google and Deerdon and what we were saying, one of the things he had mentioned, well, actually a couple, uh, the Sharks have a lease agreement through 2025 that then goes year by year through 2040 and only the sharks can end that deal and they have to give three years notice. Is that still the case? Yes. The mechanics of it are slightly more complicated than that, but it's a simple enough explanation, which is, and under the terms of the agreement, we stay till 2025 and we have the unilateral decision to extend it up to 2040. That is correct. Okay. Uh, the other thing he had mentioned, and so again, it's, uh, I just want to clarify some stuff that John said, just in case anything had changed between now and then. Now, by the uh, way, we only signed this agreement in August of 2018, so it's not so old. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he had also mentioned, uh, and this seems to be a really key piece of information, so I really want to know if something changed, because I don't see this at a high level in any of the articles that have been uh, put out about this whole development but he had mentioned that the Sharks control parking lots A, B, and C, and that they actually have to, you have to sign off on this development, or basically Google cannot develop on lots A, B, and C. You keep that parking and that they're going to have to uh, reconfigure their plans. Uh, that is correct. So we have what are essentially called, for all you burgeoning attorneys out there, uh, consent rights. So the city can't sell them to Google without us consenting to it first. And of course, we wouldn't consent to it unless there were other ways for us to get the parking we need for our patrons and fans. So we'd have to be satisfied that essentially it cured a potential breach of the contract. 
Yeah. And so whatever the option was, it would have to be as good, if not better than what's currently in place. Correct. Okay. That, that sounds fine. Now, is there anything now, in- to be fair uh-huh. that, that, that consent right only exists while we have an agreement with the city. So if you want to be negative, which I'm not, I'm a positive guy, they could do it in 2041 after our contract currently extends, ends rather. Okay. And to continue on the negative aspect, <laughs> okay. is, is there any incentive to agree to release A, B, or C at this point? Because it just seems like over the last year, based on what we've seen with the Downtown West project, I don't know that there's a whole lot of incentive for you, or I should say not for you personally, but for the Sharks to play ball when it appears to the average fan like myself that the Sharks have kind of been treated as an afterthought in this whole development project. Uh, you know, is, is there an incentive for you guys at this point unless they present you, you know, like, okay, this is a fantastic option. You're providing us – 4,000 spots that are within a half a mile, and this is something that benefits both. So, AJ, I can interpret your question two ways, so I'm going to answer both of them. Okay. Uh, one is, no, today we have not been presented with an option that feels like a good solution that would uh, want us to consent. But having said that, we also don't want to be the guys that stand in the way of re- redevelopment of downtown. So we're interested in an option that fits everyone's needs. We're looking, we start with the, we want this to work as opposed to start with, we don't want this to work. So let's make sure that, and even starting with that mental model says, well, what else can we do now? Partly because we're optimistic. I'm an optimistic person. I think our franchise is optimistic, right? We don't want to be in this situation again in like 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. So even if we said no now, 15 years from now, we'd still be faced with the, uh Oh, ABC is going away. And yes, you and I might still be doing this interview in virtual reality, um, et cetera, because inevitably time comes. So I'd rather solve the issue now. And I heard in the city council meeting on Monday and maybe then extend the lease beyond 2040 because then nobody has to worry about this for 40 years or whatever the number is. I I don't want to make up an extension time because I haven't heard a concrete date yet from the city. So if possible, let's resolve this in a way that makes everybody happy now. And, you know, to use an old phrase, I do think the world can have its cake and eat it too. I think we can actually solve the shark's issues, make Google happy, make room for BART, solve. I, I don't think these, this is totally inoperable. I think it's possible. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not here to sound like a Debbie Downer. I'm, of course, I'm hopeful as a fan. I want this team to be in San Jose forever. Uh, that being said, I've had personal experience with San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo. They've, they've unfortunately largely been negative, but I hope this works out, uh, obviously. But someone as yourself, uh, is, is smart and prepared as you are, you, of course, do due diligence. Of course. You hope for the best, but you prepare for the worst. Indeed. Is Have you entertained or at least – and obviously, you, I'm sure that every, all the cards are kept, kept close to the vest, but – there has to be a plan B option. If, if Google, San Jose, whatever comes along and unfortunate events occur and you go, SAP is just not going to do it for us in the future, is, is it a case of looking at 
a somewhat close location, whether it's the Santa Clara County Fairgrounds, it's further out, say, if they scrape the Oakland Coliseum and the ballpark and you do a whole new sports thing up there where the A's get a new ballpark, the Sharks get a new arena, or even further outside of the Bay Area? <laughs> yeah, so the, the answer is, so no. far, we've not. What? No, the answer is no. We're not leaving. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, really want the answer to be no, we're not leaving. I mean, I, I, I want fans and everyone listening to understand that although there's a possibility, we're trying very hard to avoid the possibility. So all of our effort is in the stay here. Yeah. Now, having said that, you're right. We, you can't be so focused on stay here that you're silly and you got to run a business. Mm -hmm. And so it's occurred to us that we might be forced to leave at some point in the future. Having said that, we've had no formal conversations with any other site, but we have sat back and said, if we were forced to leave, where would we go? I mean, obviously our first choice would be to stay in the Bay area. I mean, come on, we're all Bay area people. We want to stay here. The reality of where we all live is there's not a lot of real estate in the Bay area that you can develop for something as large as an arena. You mentioned some possibilities. Each of them have some issues built into them. They have other owners who may or may not want us. Uh, you know, there are actually more spots further south than they are to the east and to the north. So that might be a possibility. I mean, in, in past years, other cities have been reached out to us and said, would you ever consider moving here? Our short answer is no. We, but, you know, would we change our mind one day? I, I guess. But, AJ, I think the time to have the conversation you're trying to poke at right now is probably still, I don't know, six ish months away, right? There are a lot, I mean, there's no hard line in the sand where there's a last day here, but a lot of these decisions are being made by the city of San Jose in the spring timeframe in their own schedule. So I think there hasn't been significant change between now and the spring. Then we'd have to start doing what you're suggesting right now. It still feels too early. Okay. Well, and, since kind of like the big announcement that dropped a week or so ago, uh, there's been some talk since then, some articles published. And one of the quotes I believe I read earlier today was, you felt since then that the city has heard and recognized your needs. So has your optimism level then gone up significantly over the last week? Not significantly. My optimism has definitely gone up. I think significantly would be too strong of a phrase. Right. They certainly heard us. There's been many council people that we haven't talked to previously that are have interest in this conversation now. Those that we talk to frequently over the last three years, we've had renewed conversations with them. But I've said to a few people, and I want to say it again, is we've had a lot of conversations, many of them very encouraging over the last three years or so. The time to just have conversations has passed. Mm-hmm. We, we need results. We need action, not conversations, because otherwise it sounds nice, but it, it doesn't amount to anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and another thing that, that occurred to me, now all of this development in the plans obviously happened years ago. Yeah. Um, we're in a post-COVID world at this point, and I consider all, these off, all this office space that is being erected, meanwhile... We're talking a tech company. Uh, a lot of people are working from home. Some companies have even thrived and found that their employee or the, you know, their workforce, they've actually been somewhat more productive. Now, maybe some of that has to do with the fact that, well, you really can't leave your house to do anything, so <laughs> might as well do some more work, right? Okay. <laughs> but I'm just, you know, I, I don't know about you, but uh, 
in the workforce, typically you had cubicles and high walls. And over the course of the last decade, many companies have kind of broken those down. We want to encourage collaboration. We want to take away the isolation between employees. So we've removed all these walls and then we end up with what we have now with COVID. But getting back to the point, is all that office space really required now that so many people are working from home and are actually more productive in that setting? I mean, it's, you, a, it's a really good question to ask. I've actually to asked ask that Google, question. Right? <laughs> of, yeah, but I think Google would have to answer that, not me. Yeah. All right. I get you. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a fair question to ask, but remember only half the office space is there. The other seven and a half million is various other developers as well. But it's, it's a fair question to ask whether 15 million square feet of new office space is still needed or not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I know that we did ask this question to John. I don't know that I got a, an actual answer. I don't know that I'll get one from you. Okay. Uh, um, but is this where I say, ask me your question, bridge keeper. I'm not afraid. <laughs> there you go. Is there a reason? Well, I shouldn't say, is there a reason, but, uh, why wasn't as part of this whole project? Cause we know how mammoth this is. Was there some sort of a reason? Now I get it. You guys love SAP, but it is a 30 year old building. It's it, as far as last time I looked, buildings don't ever get younger. So is there a reason why a new arena was not designed into these plans? Well, so again, two ways to answer that question. We didn't create the plans. So you're asking me why well, the city Google and others well, they didn't come to you, I guess. They, they, right. We, frankly, we found out about many of these things when the public did as well. We weren't really given advance warnings. In fact, when the what's called DSAP, the Deridon Station Area Plan, which the city published last month, and Google's Downtown West Draft EIR, when those were published also last month, combined roughly 2,000 pages, that was the first we'd seen it. Now, it's fair. We knew some pieces of it. We'd had some hints over the last year or two but we're like the rest of the public in many of those things. It's a, we learn as we go along, et cetera. So why wasn't back in 2014 and 2017 when all this started, why wasn't a new arena considered? You'd have to ask the people involved then. Jeez. Hmm. Now, yeah. from, remember, we're a city-owned building. This is not a private building. Now, having said that, you know, at this point, it's clearly a, a public-private relationship, right? As I said, we've invested more in the upkeep and the modernization of this building than the city originally spent in building it back in, you know, 1991 to 1993. And assuming we stay here long term, we'll invest that much again over the next 20, 25 years. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit, uh, yes, it's a 30-year-old building, but most buildings of our age have not had so much money put into them as ours has. That's why, I mean, it's clearly older. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to dispute that. But that's why it doesn't feel as run down as some 30-year-old buildings because so much time has been put into it and money. Yeah. Yo, yeah, absolutely. I guarantee you the Cow Palace feels today like it did when it was first opened. <laughs> well, there are even other NHL buildings, which I won't name, that feel their age more than we do. Uh, I can imagine. Um, so aside from the changes that happened to SAP, there have been changes that have occurred at solar for America. Indeed. Uh, so can you give us an update as to uh, a few things? Uh, what's the target date for the Barracuda arena? Has that been progressing as planned? Yeah. If, 
we, we had an initial delay because of COVID, but since we broke ground in August, I guess it was, we're on schedule. I almost don't want to jink it slightly ahead of schedule, but, but you know, as much as you can be in three months, we're on schedule and we're projected to have the CUDA play their first home game in, I guess that would be October of 22. So for the 22-23 season, it's basically a two-year build-out, a little bit less, but basically a two-year build-out. So far, knock on wood, all things going schedule. Uh, some people may have seen the videos or time-lapse that uh, we posted as well. Um, one of the fun things that I think most people have missed is um, the home goalie side is, so the defend twice is open. So there's actually a bar there where you can buy drinks and see into the ice. Um, and I posted an interesting photo of what that would look like as the rink is actually going in. And that's going to be one of the coolest spots and certainly of all the AHL, maybe even in NHL as well. So I can't wait to see that building. Remember, roughly 4,500 people kind of thing, smaller, more CUDA friendly, but there are also suites there. There's some office space. There's some great food. It'll continue our tradition of interesting food like we've had in the big building as well. Nice. Uh, then the thing I wanted to find out, the practice facility that the Sharks use was they had their ice also upgraded. We, we basically took advantage of the downtime to do what we've done in the big building, which is rip out the ice rebuild the entire structure and make it better as well. So again, stronger, better ice. So with this build out, has there been any changes to any of the other sharks? The, they'll, they'll continue to use that sheet. They'll continue to use their practice facilities Correct. and all that. Um, we'll, so we'll have a reconfiguration of somehow the locker rooms work by the mm -hmm. time we open the new rink, but that's, that comes last. That comes basically a year from now. Okay. And so I asked this from the fan perspective. Again, we're in a post COVID world. Ha, will there be any changes that fans can look forward to for those who enjoy going to watch practices? Or have those even been considered at this point? Yes. Um, so uh, post-COVID world is a funny phrase. So I'll, I'll say, because I'm not sure COVID magically goes away no. anytime in the short term. Oh, they're not going to just turn it off somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, so let me, let me answer it kind of in stages. Uh, it seems somewhere between likely and highly likely that player interaction for this season, however the season, is going to be dramatically limited. Not just around games. I'm guessing there's going to be no hi-fi tunnel, but even on practice. Uh, and by the way, it's funny. I don't even know exactly what to call this season. It seemed odd to call it the 2021 season since it's clearly not going to take place in 20. So we'll just call it the 21 season. Um, my guess is it's going to be highly restricted and practices, although not finalized, if I were to speculate, more likely to be closed. Or if not closed, you'll have to be socially distant and, and away from it as well. So, yes, access to players in all will be limited. It is my belief, however, that that's temporary. That's for this weird year and season that we're going to be in. And Everything I've heard, our mental model, our business model, et cetera, says when the 21-22 season starts, which we all believe will be October of 21, um, that things will go back to some kind of normal. There'll still be changes, but mostly it'll feel like it did in, I'm not going to say 1920, because lots of fans didn't like 1920, so I'll say 1890. All right. Well, and because with that development, too, there's also, you know, the fans that enjoy uh, hanging out 
post-practice, hoping to catch a player coming out to get, you know, a puck that, that probably won't happen this, this year. Yeah. But uh, fast forward a year, then, I, then I'm normal. virtually certain it's normal again. Yes. There you go. All right. See fans who like to try to get things signed like pucks or whatnot. There you yeah. go. You'll have that. Yeah, that's return. a big part of what we do for fan engagement. So taking that away would be very bad idea. Yeah. Um, all right. I feel like we covered a good amount of that. So let's uh, touch on, on the fun stuff. Uh, as you, you know, know, this wasn't fun. But, well, I mean, some of it. But Okay. Know. All right. Fine. Uh, the NHL has released their retro reverse jersey series. Uh, aside from the Sharks. Yep. Who do you think like knocked it out of the park? Who, who was the, like, you know, a couple of teams that you looked at it and you go, you know what? They did a really good job at that. Um. You know, kudos for Colorado for uh, going back to the Nordiques and their heritage and all that. Um, you know, some of the teams, frankly, just have a tough time. They haven't really changed their logo at all. It looks the same. The Canadians is the Canadians is the Canadians. So uh, I think they did actually a pretty good job with very little to deal with there as well. Well, I don't, um, think, I don't know that you need to change the crest, but I mean, you can, you know, you can do some fun things like uh, I like how Vancouver has that kind of sublimation. I, I would agree. Is that the is that the fancy word for it? Sublimation. It's it, when I'm ordering softball jerseys for my softball team. That's what they call that. Where it gradients to, from one color to another. They're called sublimated. What can I tell you? Uh, I actually, you know, I, I realize that a lot of fans didn't enjoy it, but I think uh, Minnesota was pretty aggressive on the color scheme as well. Um, yes, a little bit Christmas tree. I know that, but uh, but oh, I, that's I, New Jersey. Oh, that was Jersey. You're absolutely right. Sorry no, about that. Minnesota that looks like they're sponsored by Subway. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it was Jersey <laughs> I'm thinking of. Sorry about that. My apologize to all the Devils fans that are not <laughs> mad at me at the moment. Um, you know, the one I will say is aggressive. I, I'm wondering what they were thinking. I, I don't want to give them any hard time. Is the Coyotes throwback is was interesting. Oh, I like it. Do you? Oh, I, I mean, the return. I just really wish the Coyotes would just go full board. Just get, bring us back to Kachina. Uh, yep. Love the love the Peyote Coyote. Uh, the, for me, the big difference was on green did not look good. On right. purple, there's something about it that just looks yeah. sharp. I I like it. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. I, I think we'll, I think fans will get seventy percent more Desert Dog references now because of those throwbacks. I would hope. <laughs> but I no, I thought they, uh, you know, I thought there were certain teams that they took advantage of this opportunity to kind of, you know, push the envelope or uh, take things in a new direction. And I, exactly, Colorado love them paying. Uh, I think it also works with the Quebec thing that it's going to be their twenty fifth season. Yeah, so. Right. You know that that aspect of it. I'm sure they're going to throw out another jersey to you know, pay respects to the 25th season. But I, I like where some of these teams went with it. I thought Florida did a good job with it. Um, oh, I hadn't thought about the Panthers. You're right. Florida did do a good job of it. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, on this, on this whole throwback thing. Now, I look at a team like Detroit, <laughs> and I'm going, okay, so you took duct tape and put that on the arms and on the bottom of a practice jersey? I mean, that's not a lot going on in that one. I thought – Detroit, if anything, was a team that definitely could have said, okay, here's our opportunity. We've had the same two damn jerseys since the inception of the team. Let's get freaky. Let's go wild. But, oh, well. What do you think about the uh, LA Kings? You know, 
because of our natural rivalry, I'm not going to mention anybody else in the Pacific other than Arizona. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I like the fact that they finally. My mama always taught me, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. How about that? Yeah. I, I just like the fact that they finally got away from the monochromatic look for so long. Yeah. I, li- I like seeing the color. But uh, so what do you think about the Sharks jerseys? Are you happy with the way it turned out? And you, you like seeing that return of the original crest? And because okay. I'm, a, I'm so, a big fan of that era of jersey. As am I. That's when I became a fan as well. I think everyone knows by now I was a huge fan for a long time before I joined the organization. There was never any doubt that the original crest would be what we want to do in reverse retro. The question was, what year do we anchor for the reverse retro? And I know a lot of fans thought we should anchor it in 1991, the original iconic, I mean, still in I think most people's top 10 lists of best jersey of all time, et cetera. Um, You know, we thought about it. Frankly, we did a heritage jersey in the 25th anniversary, and this is our 30th. Mm -hmm. So we were like, yeah, I don't know. Do we want to do that again? And also that jersey is so perfect, in my opinion. Messing with it by trying to reverse it almost is a bit of sacrilege. I, I didn't think inverting the 91 was the right thing to do. Hmm. 98 was, if I remember correctly, the very first time that we actually we did an alternate jersey. Well, was, yeah, but, that 97-98 that season. But the thing is, the the Sharks – they didn't retro reverse the first alternate. They retro because the first alternate was teal. They reversed the white version of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Also, when we looked around at it, we're like, you know, we've done a lot of black. We just did stealth. So doing another black orient thing didn't feel different enough. Mm -hmm. We played around with orange for a while. And, you know, there were some interesting orange styles, um, some of which paid homage to the CUDA as well. But in the end, it just seemed a bit too much to be orange dominant. Although, you know, other teams took some pretty aggressive color schemes as well. And that original crest just popped on the gray. It just, the more we saw it on the gray, we're like, okay, it's got to be gray based with that crest there. Okay, then we just got to go back and look at, as you said, the, the alternate, alternate, see what this color scheme was. And yeah, I actually love it. I think it worked out really well. The reaction for fans has been almost universally positive. There's always going to be people that wish we'd done I've seen some people say the gray should be lighter. I've seen some people say the gray should be darker. There, I mean, I, I think, AJ, you guys designed some jerseys for us as well. There's been lots of speculation there as well. Um, but in general, I'm quite pleased. Uh, I give us a high mark. No, I, absolutely. Uh, again, I'm a you know, big proponent of the original logo. Uh, I'm always down whenever I see something with that marker on there. You, so, you were born in 1991, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I think you might be off by a couple of decades, but um, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm enjoying it. I, I I thought this was something kind of cool. The the one thing that did throw me off a little bit is I it just it did feel like a little bit of a random occurrence. Like, because uh, no. from what I understand, this is just this is a one year thing. So so you know, like like COVID, you never know what's going to happen. For first of all, for people that think we rushed this idea to market because COVID happened just don't understand how long supply chains of manufacturing jerseys. This has oh, been like a two year development, like a year and a half. I mean, yeah. this is, this was always planned for the season when the season was supposed to start in October and coordination among 31 different teams is really <laughs> tough. So, so please don't think that somehow someone dreamed this up over the summer and then we're all magically doing this as a way of selling jerseys. Cause we can't, cause can't play games right now. 
Well, see, I just thought it would have been interesting to uh, a, an interesting twist on the centennial. Like if they'd ah. done this a couple of years ago, that's all. That's you all. know, if it's going to be a one year thing. But um, I've yeah. also noticed. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, I don't know that anybody has said this before, but the original plan was that teams were only going to wear this two, maybe maximum four times. Yeah. And it was all going to be done in a compressed amount of time. Basically six, eight, maybe 10 weeks at most. Um, we haven't made a final decision, but I think the rules are being thrown out. Really? And a little more discretion is going to be given to the clubs as opposed to being careful. I'm saying this, I'm going to get a call from the commissioner later saying, where did you get that idea from? But, but that's my understanding that we're going to, and so if we are given the choice, we'll wear it more, more than just two times. We'll wear it more like four or maybe even five or six times. And we'll space it out a bit more as opposed to condensing it. Yeah. Personally, I think it would be totally cool. A buddy of mine said this to me. If we could coordinate with every team in the league and everybody wore it on their opening night, that, that would be really cool. I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but it would be a nice effect. Well, the way that I understand it, these are specifically supposed to be used in kind of like rivalry games. So you exactly would see right. these, you know, the Sharks implement these versus LA or, or uh, there's some team in Nevada, but the, it would be used as a team in Nevada now. What did that I, I, I hear this, but I, I can't, I cannot not confirm or deny, but okay. uh, those games, but I've never, I haven't seen anything mentioned where is, well, obviously there's some teams have light uniforms. Some teams have darks and those are kind of on purpose because of these rivalry matchups, exactly. but there's no decision on, or I should say there's no designation on Homer away, like you know the the teal homes versus white away. So you could wear these in at a game in LA, and then they can wear their purples in a game up here. Well, there were some originally some guidelines, but those guidelines are are going to change. Oh, okay, perfect. All right. Well, uh, unless there's anything else you'd like to share regarding jerseys or anything else, the the Sharks are considering rolling out for this thirtieth uh, season huh. coming up. Do you think we should have more jerseys? I mean, I, I don't hate the idea. Neither do I. Maybe, maybe we should have another. Or six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think maybe some fans have seen that I joked with a reporter on social media oh. uh, who said, well, I've been told there won't be five jerseys, as I said, but have you been told there won't be six? Yep. Uh, I will tell you there are more than three. Um, I won't tell you how many more. But also remember, and you just apply that home and away is a designation. Mm -hmm. So you can have variants of variants. And, uh, and I will also differentiate between jerseys we play in games versus jerseys we play in warm-ups versus things we might design for fans just for fun. And no, somebody asked me on social media today, are we going to become the Oregon Ducks <laughs> of hockey and play in a different jersey every single game? No, that is not of the intent. I, it, we're not going to have 20 some jerseys at some point in the future that, but, but it might not be bad to have a few in rotation. And I think the open question is what happens to stealth this year? Does it go away for a year? Does that, that it... is a good question. See, and after retro reverse in the 30th, who's to say we don't see a refresh of jerseys after that. Aha. Uh -huh. I mean, there's a whole lot of things. It seems like ever since. But, but the core two remain the core two. Let's, let's make sure we all remember that. Yes. Sure. Okay. But 
it seems like ever since Adidas has kind of come in, they've really pushed the envelope yeah. when it comes to jersey designs. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I'm, I'm more of a fan of actual patches versus these kind of, I'm not sure what they, like, it's almost like a printing. It is, like a it is essentially, yes, that's right. Yeah, so I, I do think the, the actual embroidered, threaded patches do look a little crisp, but I understand that if you have that element going on, then maybe it doesn't allow you to do something super cool like the Sharks Freak stuff. That's exactly right. That, that, that's the built-in reason. It just limits the canvas of what you can actually do. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the last thing you want to do is limit yourself on that. I think you could, you know, really push the envelope even further and further. Well, so, so I, I may have said this to you when we talked last year, I don't remember anymore, but we, we are going to art as inspiration on some of these things. So you, you saw the shark freak, you saw the stuff that we did, Santa Cruz, skateboardy kind of stuff you've seen. Some of the things we did with Oakland, we will continue to infuse art ideas, never messing with the two mains, but always giving a chance for people to express itself. Now, I realize the hardcore hockey audience may not like some of those designs, but it definitely does appeal to a sub audience. And the more we get them to understand hockey, the better it is for all of us. I look forward to a warm-up jersey that features the artwork uh, of the gentleman who has the huge mural next to Whole Foods. Indeed. Like that would be, uh, that'd be pretty spectacular. That would, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think that would be great. So uh, thanks again for joining us, Jonathan. Wait, wait, can I give you one more hint? Uh, hint? No, just, just lay it on the line. <laughs> How come in all this Jersey stuff, nobody's ever asked about all the stuff that goes with jerseys? Pants, mitts, socks. Oh, we flipping the script a little bit more. Uh, are we going to go full on color rush? Uh, don't know, but you would think all you enterprising fans would have been designing the rest of the uniform and not just the jersey. Yeah, but let me tell you why. Why? Are, are fans going into the store to buy pants and socks? And <laughs> fans Nobody if you skate at any one of our buildings, you might be. All right, I'll give you that. I'm, I'm interested to see how Dallas goes over with their, if they're going to full-on color rush their black Tron uniforms, whatever, and then if they color rush their retro reverse where they go, because that jersey is so ordin or extraordinarily white <laughs> with such little color detail, the thing that would set that off is white gloves, white pants, white helmet, you know, like just full-on, but then you kind of go, Shouldn't that be a Winnipeg Jets thing? True North, Whiteout, you know? So, Well, on behalf of all my friends in the broadcasting team, we don't want to go full color rush, particularly with the white-on-white -white numbers and the non-outline. It just becomes almost impossible to pick up players on the ice, particularly white-on-white -white and white ice. It's, uh, it's yeah. not good. <laughs> well, thanks for joining again, Jonathan, and we look forward to a new hockey season. And at this point, are we kind of hoping mid-January? Yeah, I mean, January, exactly the date in January, we don't know, but that's, that's the goal. Uh, the league has said repeatedly, we'd like to start in January. We want to try to get a full season in. We want to try to get that season to end before the break for the Olympics, right? There's some flexibility in there. That's the goal. But frankly, you know, a lot of it has to do with how all of us act and, you know, what things feel like in January and where COVID is. So we got to be safety first, right? Yes. So with that, I say, wear a damn mask.
Okay. There you go. Thanks, AJ. <laughs> Thank you.